If you think it's polite not to judge another, Pastor Xavier Reese says, think again. Now people say, oh, you need to be able to love one another. Sure, as long as it's scriptural. Oh, we shouldn't call out name. Jesus meek and mild, tie a stone around your neck and cast yourself into the sea. John the Baptist, you snakes and vipers. Comes time when you have to confront when it's heresy and you don't play games. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. When it comes to heresy in the church, it's pretty evident that it's a history that is forever repeating itself, from the false and humanistic teachings of the current day and going all the way back to New Testament times. So much so, there are numerous warnings throughout Scripture regarding false teachers and instructions to believers on how to handle them. Today on Simple Truths, Pastor Xavier Reese takes us right to one of them in this, the conclusion of our first study in our series in the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 10, we are given the response of the Apostle Paul to heresy, particularly here in verses 6 down to 10. Heresy is defined as that which is an opinion or doctrine that deviates, alters, opposes, or contradicts orthodox Christianity and salvation by faith in Christ alone. Let me re-announce to you that there is but one gospel. The gospel was given by inspiration of God's spirit. It presents God's authority and it's God's final revelation. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, all scriptures God breathed. 2 Peter uh, 1, 20 and 21, men of old were carried along by the spirit of God. They didn't speak of their own impulse. And Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 and 2 says that God spoke in different times and diverse manners and times past of the fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken unto us finally, ultimately, last of all, through his dear son. It's done. The gospel is final in salvation of Jesus Christ, which is delivered once and for all to the saints. Jude 3 tells us that and many other portions of scripture. Once and for all. The Lord Jesus warned about deception in all three synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke 21. The first words out of his mouth, out of the Olivet Discourse was, take heed, let no man deceive you. What's the implication? Men will always be there to deceive you. Very important. It's getting worse. It's not going to get better. Am I a doomsday prophet? No, I offer you the greatest hope, the soon return of Jesus Christ and the grace of God. Let me announce to you some who are perverting the gospel today. Jehovah Witnesses. They do not believe that Jesus Christ is God. Mormons. They believe Jesus Christ is half-brother to Satan. And they're, they're saved by the restored gospel that Joseph Smith got from the angel Moroni. New Agers. It's nothing but revived Hinduism. Crystals are nothing but the worship of the male phallic called Shingalinga. Positive confession. Grab it and nab it. Don't make positive negative confessions. They've gone so far, they, they teach now that Jesus went down to hell to suffer at the hand of Satan to finish the atonement. Blasphemous. Heresy. When Jesus said on the cross it is finished, he meant the atonement. Legalistic churches. 
They teach that women can't wear pants, but out of context. It's to impersonate a man. If you're trying to impersonate a man, then take them off, put a skirt on. Jewelry, out of context. It's because of idolatry. Now, if you're worshiping your earrings, rip them off. Makeup, we'll just leave it alone. Um, like they say, don't go there. Paul declared that the Spirit explicitly says that in the latter times some would depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. 1 Timothy 4.1 The latter days, departure, 2 Timothy 3.1-4. And so the announcement of the apostle was that there was only one gospel. Only one. Now, am I speaking against denominations? No. I think denominations are good. You know why? Because people are different. You're more emotional, you can line yourself up with that. That's okay. But that's your choice. But just make sure it's the gospel. Make sure it's not heresy. What we want to do is examine the response of Paul, the apostle, to heresy. Let me read verse 6 to 10. I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I still please men, I would not be a bondservant. Of Christ. Paul's response to heresy is fourfold. First of all, the amazement of the apostle, verse 6. Secondly, the announcement of the apostle in verse 7. Thirdly, the assessment of the apostle in verse 8 and 9. This is the apostle's judgment regarding these false teachers who preach the gospel of works and not faith, law, not grace. This is judgment. Hear me right. He is making a judgment. People say you shouldn't judge. No, better listen up. Look at first in verse 8. The assessment was condemning, strong and final, evident by the choice of the word, not Paul's choice, but the choice of the Holy Spirit. Accursed. The word accursed is anathema, is used in the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Hebrew, for a person devoted to God for destruction without any hope of being redeemed. Paul is choosing. Now, people say, oh, you need to be able to love one another. Sure, as long as it's scriptural. Oh, we shouldn't call out names. Jesus, meek and mild, tie a stone around your neck and cast yourself into the sea. John the Baptist, you snakes and vipers. There comes time when you have to confront when it's heresy and you don't play games. Now Paul is not finalizing these men. This is important. He's not finalizing these men's eternal destiny without hope of the repentance. But that if they continue preaching a perverted gospel which is heretical to the only one gospel, and if they continue there, then they will be under God's wrath. 
Our hope is always to say, no, we don't agree, and in hope that that would warn them that they might embrace the truth. But if they continue being deceived and deceiving, then they will die in their sin and they will fall under God's wrath. And one thing you don't want to be accountable is to mess with God's word. Because God's word is what sends men either to hell or to heaven if they respond in obedience or in rejection. The judgment is greater to teachers. Are you a teacher? Woe to you. You better do good study. You better pray. You better know what you're talking about. Because God will hold you responsible for whatever you teach anybody else. Very important. Notice secondly in verse 8. The assessment was condemning even to include apostles. This is good. But even if we, referring to himself and others, sent out by Christ, Barnabas, Silas, or Timothy, he includes himself. You see, everything I teach you includes me. Everything I warn you about warns me. I am no different. For the apostles were to preach that which was given to them by Christ. Remember Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 1-4, that which I received I have delivered unto you. How the Lord died and rose and, out, and he went on to speak of the gospel. Notice thirdly in verse 8. The assessment was condemning even to include angels. Apostles, now angels. Of course, these are those who are fallen who have left their first estate in Satan's rebellion. Revelation 12, 7 through 9 tells us that. We already saw in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 14 through 15, that Satan can transform himself to an angel of light. So can his angels, ministers of darkness, be transformed, and they are emissaries of deceit. So we shouldn't marvel. We shouldn't be surprised. Anybody says they're from God, you better find out if they're in accord with Scripture or not. If they're not, don't follow them. It's deception. Notice fourthly, the assessment of the condemnation was to include anyone who would preach any other gospel. He says this in verse 8 in the middle and in verse 9 in the middle. Twice. By announcing a message of good news when it is what? Not. By announcing a perverted gospel that is contrary to what? The original one. By adding or deleting from the only gospel. See, some people feel real good about the gospel. Oh, I like this. This is good. But I don't know. This isn't for today. We can't. No, 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 no. It's, it's cover to cover. You take it all or you reject all. This is not smorgasbord Christianity. Genesis to Revelation applies to us. Now, notice fifthly. The assessment of the condemnation was not without thought but in view of Paul having warned the Galatians in the first visit with Barnabas. As we have said before, so now I say again. The word before refers to having told them beforehand, his first visit. The word is used nine times in the New Testament. Five of the nine are used in the sense of foretelling ahead of time. So they were not ignorant. They already had been warned when he was there the first time. I'm always, it's amazing to me that Paul, when he went and he, and he started a church and he preached the gospel and new converts, right away he told them, be careful you don't deceive, get deceived. We have children, they start growing up. When do we decide to tell them to be careful they not be deceived by people in the world? When they turn 18? No, the minute they want to go in the front yard, right? <laughs> you do that, why? Because you love them. And he says, now. I told you before, now I'm telling you again. Chapter 4, verse 13, he says he came to them the first time. Now, 
the believer needs some cautions here. Let me give you some cautions as we get all weirded out. Make sure that you are not accusing those believers who have a different view of doctrine and scripture than you and I where it doesn't touch salvation or orthodox Christianity. Example, post, mid, or pre-trib. Is Jesus coming for us before the tribulation, the middle of the tribulation, or at the end? We believe, I teach, Calvary Chapels believe, per se, that Jesus is coming before the tribulation. I believe that wholeheartedly. If you don't believe that, you're still a Christian. We certainly want you to align ourselves with what we believe so there's no divisions and there's no confusion. And if you can hang with us, even though you do not believe that without creating divisions, fine. But if you can't sit still and you want to make a big issue of it, find a church that believes like you do and I'll see you in heaven. No big deal. The gifts. You don't believe in the gifts of the Spirit? You're still a Christian. And if you can hang with us, fine, but don't divide the body. Don't try to persuade people. Find a church that believes like you and I'll see you in heaven. Calvinism, Armenianism. You believe in eternal security, you believe you can walk away. Find a church that you believe with and then I'll see you in heaven. Maybe I won't. <laughs> you get my idea as your pastor? Okay? Get busy about the kingdom, man. The believer needs to distinguish the responsibility from the warnings not to be critical in judgment. You remember that everybody throws this in our faces all the time. Matthew 7, verse 1 through 3, judge not lest you be judged. For whatever measure you judge, you will come back to you. Well, he's talking about a critical, sincere spirit. Now, if you are always finding fault with everything and everybody, that's what he's talking about. But that's not saying that we're not to discern or judge or make a, a, a concluding statement of course not otherwise Paul would be wrong here we better examine we better say no there is three persons to the Godhead not just one there's three we better say no we're saved only by grace through faith no personal works Paul as we said was appointed to defend the gospel in Philippians 1:17. Jude tells us to contend for the faith in Jude 3. Paul says their mouths must be stopped. Titus 1:11. That's pretty strong. Don't let them teach any other doctrine. Their mouths have to be stopped. Heavy. Why? Because men's eternal destinies lay on the line. The believer needs to identify what the biblical love is declared to be in order to confront men who are deceived and being deceived and are deceivers. Not with the watered-down mamby-pamby love that goes around the church today that discourages anybody from making any judgment. You better confront it's a sign of love. And if not, then maybe you don't love them. You have to warn Ezekiel was called to be the watchman. Remember Ezekiel 3 and 18? You warn, Ezekiel, if you don't and they die in their sin, I hold you responsible. But if you warn and they turn, then they'll be forgiven. If you warn and they don't turn, then they're responsible. Watchmen. Paul called men out by name to deliver them over to Satan. They made shipwreck of the faith, teaching that the resurrection had already passed. Hymenus, Alexander, Philetus. By name, 
1 Timothy 1, 19 and 20 and 2 Timothy 2, 17 and 18. By name. So what's the problem with us making names when it comes to heresy? Amazing. The assessment of the apostle of being a curse was for all men as well as angels. No exception. Notice fourth and last. We have the argument of the apostle in verse 10. He says, For do I not persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I still please men, I would not be the bondservant of Christ. Paul's argument is rhetorical, implying the most obvious answer to the question he asks in order to clear up the false slander and lies regarding his motives in preaching the gospel of faith alone. Because they're slandering Paul, just like in Corinth. Notice first, Paul argues that his motive was not to persuade God. I mean, this is kind of ironic. He goes such an extreme to make it obvious. For do I not persuade men or God? The obvious answer is men. God needs no persuasion to be reconciled to the gospel. He revealed it. He's not lost. We are. He's not the one being deceived. The Galatians were. His motive was the reconciliation of the Galatians. Why? Because he loved them. He tells them that in chapter 3, verse 1. Listen to him. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified? This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect in the flesh? No. Look at chapter 4, verse 11. I'm afraid for you, lest I have labored for you in vain. Brethren, I urge you to become like me, for I became like you. You have not injured me. You know that because of physical infirmities, I preached the gospel to you at first. Look at chapter 5, verse 7. You ran well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? Paul argues that his motive was not to persuade God. But notice secondly, Paul argues that his motive was not to what? Please men. Paul said he became all things to all men culturally that he might win some. He never compromised God's word. To the Gentiles, he became a Gentile. To the Jews, a Jews. If he was with the Gentile, he could eat pork chops. No problem. If he was with the Jews, he wouldn't do it because he didn't want to stumble them. Was he a hypocrite? No. He was living under grace, becoming all things to all men that I might win some. Now, don't carry that too far. That doesn't mean you can go with your friend and blast out a joint just so you can be compatible and then tell about Jesus. So don't carry it too far, okay? But wherever you can become like them in terms without defiling the word or your conscience, then you do that because the love you want to reach them. That's what he's talking about. He was not giving in to the pressure of the Judaizers who taught circumcision. Therefore, he was being persecuted. Look at chapter 5, verse 11. He says, And I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why do I still suffer persecution? Then the offense of the cross has ceased. You see, the Judaizers were doing it to escape persecution. Look at chapter 6, verse 12. As many as desire to make a good showing of the flesh, these would compel you to be circumcised, only that they may not suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. Verse 13, 
For not even those who are circumcised keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. They want to glory in themselves. Later on, Paul goes on and says, now these guys want to be circumcised? I'll tell you what. If they really want to be spiritual, why stop there? Go all the way. And he tells them, have them castrate themselves. Let's see if they're spiritual. Paul used some strong words. How interesting. Notice thirdly, Paul argues that his motives Reveal that he is a servant of Christ. For if I still please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. The word servant, as you know, we've covered it many times, is doulos. A bond servant for life. It's like the Old Testament where the, old, the, the slave would serve for six years, the seven. They say, I want to serve you for life. And the master would take him to the, the door of his house with the elders and, and put his ear at the post and get an awl and a hammer, make a hole, then put an earring in his ear. And when you saw a man with an earring, that meant he was a bond slave. He served the master for life out of his own choice for life because he loved him. I know we've got a lot of bond servants today. I always ask them, who's your master? As a servant, his loyalty was completely to Christ, for he belonged to who? To Christ. As a servant, his duty was to what? Obey. As a servant, his life was not his own. Paul was sold out. How about you? You cannot serve two masters. You love one and hate the other. Jesus said that very clear in Matthew 6, 24. Polycarp. At the age of 86, was approached by a Roman centurion who was about to execute him. They were going to burn him at the stake. And he says, recant, old man. Why would you have to suffer this death? You've got a few years. Recant and you can enjoy them. Polycarp said, quote, 86 years have I served him, and never he did me any injury. How can I blaspheme my king and my savior? The centurion says, oh, but these flames are hot. He says, well, not nearly as hot as the ones you will experience. And they set him on fire. Hmm, committed. Knew what he believed. Our motive for confronting men is that they may turn from the error they are teaching or being deceived by and not to please men. That's the reason why I confront you as your pastor. If the shoe fits, wear it. If it doesn't, pass it on. Paul tells that very clear in 1 Thessalonians 2.4 and 1 Timothy 2.24 and 26. We do it that people might turn, that they might be saved. Our motive and motives will at times be misunderstood. But we must trust God and please Him and not man. And people are going to misunderstand my own heart. It's all right. I have to make sure that I'm doing what God's calling me to do, and it's according to Scripture. Faithful to Him to please Him. Our motives should reveal that we are servants of Christ. In our singleness of mind, 2 Timothy 2, 3 through 4, as a soldier of the cross. Faithful. The argument of the apostle was that he served Christ, not man. And so, as we have examined the response of Paul the apostle to heresy, 
in this fourfold response, it should quicken us. The amazement of the apostle was that they're turning away. The announcement of the apostle was that there was only one gospel. The assessment of the apostle of being a curse was for all, men and angels, no exception. And the argument of the apostle was that he served Christ, not man. Four simple things. Lift your heart to the Lord. Be a servant of Christ. Pastor Xavier Uris with a final reminder on the biblical approach to confronting heresy here on Simple Truths. Now, if you'd like to review today's important message again, you can request a copy on CD. All you need to do is mention the title, Fungus Among Us, or simply mention today's date. As always, they're available for the low cost of just $4. Plus, it'll include everything we heard last time as well. So again, the title to request is Fungus Among Us. You can contact us by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And please remember to provide us with the call letters of this station, as this helps us to monitor the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. Thank you. And then join us as we seek more simple truths of God's Word next time with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 